0: So we decided wholeheartedly to serve our direct customers because they're the ones who brought us to the table and where we are now. During that year, we we turned down Ellen, we turned down Oprah, we turned down Martha Stewart. And those were things for us that were easy decisions because we were so committed to our our direct customers. In this world, especially today, we're looking to try and find a known conclusion and or, uh, as we put it, a win at the end of your day. The uh, initial contact on a replacement piece is generally somebody who's very sad. And they will explain, and and if it happened to be their dog, which is a general culprit in our world, we have what's called a wall of shame on the factory wall of the office, and there's hundreds and hundreds of pictures of dogs up there. (laughs)
1: This is the ProCo 360 podcast for people who love Colorado and love hearing from Colorado's most inventive and successful entrepreneurs. I'm Dave Tabor. In today's episode, I'm joined by Jeff Eldridge, owner of Liberty Puzzles. I'm excited about this episode because I'm one of Jeff's customers. And the first time I tried a Liberty Puzzle, I was all kind of enchanted, really. It's, it's cool. The puzzles are made of wood and beautifully made. And each of the pieces have sort of these whimsical shapes that reflect the image shown on the puzzle. But hey, this isn't just a cute product. ProCo 360 is about Colorado's successful entrepreneurs. And today we'll be talking about how Jeff and his partners Chris and Sage Worth turned some old Depression-era puzzles into an exploding company. In today's era, in which to pass the time, people tend towards Xbox, Netflix, and TikTok. So, Jeff, glad you're with me on ProCo 360.
0: Dave, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah,
1: it's been months. In fact, last time I reached out to you, was like right before Christmas. You're like, no, not now.
0: Yeah, that's a bit of our hurricane season as we're trying to get it all put together by the end of the year, as it were. But yeah. uh, I'm thrilled to be here today. Good. So,
1: you know, we I gave a kind of an intro of the company. I did my best. And by the way, uh, this is so fun. Jeff brought... A puzzle from Liberty Puzzles It's the shape of a trout. It's beautiful. I've got the pieces all over the table, so check out the image in the post of this podcast. But, Jeff, go ahead. You tell about your company.
0: Well, we are a Colorado manufacturing company through and through. We were founded up in Boulder in 2005, so we're just completing our 18th year. We've been based in Boulder the entire time and are end-to-end manufacturing our wooden jigsaw puzzles out of our two factories up in Boulder two factories. We do. We have two. We have our original location, which we built. uh, Very entrepreneurial, where we had one of the 10 units and then assumed the one next door. And then that kept leapfrogging until we had the building. Um, COVID presented us with some interesting opportunities and challenges that we had to navigate on the fly, as everybody else did. And part of that process was an expansion which we uh, deemed something that needed to be meaningful. We've been in span- expanding year over year in very incremental ways to try and keep up with the demand that was coming in the door and then finding ourselves in that need to expand at the end of every year. And so COVID... Although we didn't have the capacity to meet the demand that came in, we knew it was time to do something more meaningful than just an iterative expansion. So we built our second factory in wow. 2020.
1: That's cool. Now I want to—we're going to talk about demand and growing demand and so forth soon. But first, you know, most entrepreneurial stories begin with, you know, a founder who, you know, had this pain point, had a problem he wanted to solve. You know, now that's not the case. Maybe with a puzzle, or maybe it is because
0: is it? Well, I would say that our inspiration definitely came from the puzzles of the past. So my business partner, Chris, and his family had a large collection of puzzles that were manufactured in the 1920s and 30s. Mm. And this was really the heyday of the jigsaw puzzle. And there were always two components to it. There was the image and there was the cut pattern. And both of those married together to tell a bit of a story about the image that was unfolding in front of you. Generally, back then, there were no images on the boxes, so they would just be labeled Seriously? Rocky Mountain Landscape Scene or huh. Mississippi River or something like that. Oh, my God, that's to that.
1: torture. You could never even know what you're
0: building. We have a lot of customers today that will request the puzzles without the image on the boxes. Wow. That is the traditional way to do it. So we always recommend that you take the box top, put it in another room. Don't give yourself the uh, advantage of knowing what's about to unfold. And the pieces in and of themselves are little vignettes that will lead you along the way, as it were.
1: What do you mean? Now, I mean, these are these are whimsical shapes of that's how you describe them pieces. Here's one that's in the shape of a deer. Here's one that's in the shape of a moose. It's beautiful, it's brown and blue. Here, what is this one?
0: Oh, that is going to be a, it looks like a fly fisherman getting ready to cast for the trout.
1: Wow. Okay. So these shapes and such. So I guess if you don't really know what the picture is and you're putting it together, then do these, puzzle, do these pieces actually lead you towards...
0: They can, and they're full of devilish tricks and sort of uh, nuances that will take you in different directions. Uh, in this particular example, you know, I love the fly fisherman piece because not only do you see him with his rod bent and you can tell the waiters are pushing him back down the river, at the end of it, there will be a cut line that will travel maybe two or three inches down the puzzle. And at the end of that line is the trout or the fish. But when you're putting the puzzle together, all you're seeing is six pieces with flat edges, which you assume go on the border.
1: So there are little mini stories or little mini vignettes within each puzzle.
0: Yes. And in the twenties and thirties, the ability for these companies to differentiate amongst each other is in the intricacy of their cutting in who could sort of, take their mastery of the of the jigsaw. Now, mind you, they were cutting these pieces using a scroll saw. So a horsehair thin blade, moving yeah. the wooden panel around the blade, not the blade around the panel. Yeah. And the artistry really came from there in terms of having the pieces be as nuanced to the image or complicated or tricky or however you want to look at it that would provide an experience above and beyond simply Mm -hmm. trying to find the sky pieces or the words or things like that. I had
1: no idea there was that much to it.
0: There was. And then the advent of die press stamp cutting is where you saw the cardboards enter the market. Right. And they tooled those machines so all the pieces would look the same so they could run any image underneath it without having to retool huh. the factory. So that was you, lazy. So you lost yeah. that aspect of the wooden puzzle. And uh, Chris, my partner, and his family were enjoying these that were family heirlooms. And that was where the idea set in saying, you know, this is really a far superior experience to jigsaw puzzling. You're using both sides of your brain. You're not only looking for the shape, but you're looking for the color. And the idea was, how do we bring this back using a modern manufacturing approach? And throughout the years, we've learned it is much harder than throwing a machine at it. I
1: want to ask you some questions about that in a minute. But first, who's like in the intro? I'm like, people are buying puzzles that would... Are they the same people who would otherwise be watching TikTok videos or otherwise be watching Netflix? Or is this a different kind of person?
0: Oh, I would say that it is absolutely the same type of person. Come on. I mean, in this world, especially today, we're looking to try and find a known conclusion and or, uh, as we put it, a win at the end of your day. Ha. And jigsaw puzzling provides that. You are, you are given chaos. You are you are discovering the order of that chaos to a known finish line. And at the end of the day, uh, you're feeling uh, successes with each piece that goes in. And it is the antidote to the iPhone in many ways. I think we've seen our explosive growth come alongside uh, our dive to technology, you know. And so much of it has been presented to us with sort of an abandoned adoption Mm. of that technology that we intrinsically yearn for a tactile experience.
1: That's so, you know, this phrase, a win at the end of the day resonates with me so much because I've talked about, I've even posted that sometimes I'll bake pies and the gratification is when it's done. And in my regular, like in a day job, a lot of us don't have a done.
0: It's things are never done. Or in the app driven world. There's something else.
1: Yes. And they want you to always have something. You can Correct. never have a gratification.
0: Correct. Wow. And, and I think it's a really primal human need to have an accomplishment, to have something that you can endeavor into with a conclusion that, again, is known yeah. and provides you that feedback loop of walking into chaos and out of it. Mm.
1: But what's so interesting is like when you put together a puzzle, you actually have little little dopamine hits, right? Every time you get pieces that fit
0: and then uh, absolutely. you get the big accomplishment. At absolutely. The end. I'm uh, known for uh, wanting a ribbon every time I put a piece in and, uh, <laughs> it, it is, and, or the last piece or whomever gets that final glory.
1: Well, oh, you know, you use phrases too on your website. Um, And by the way, listeners, wait, I'm I'm going to stop and, and remember to thank sponsors because you're listening to proco 360. I've got to ask you a question because this whole idea of heirloom is really kind of juxtaposed with our today's world. But first, you're listening to proco 360, named Best Colorado Business Podcast the last three years. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the pod for people who love Colorado and the stories of Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs. My guest today is Jeff Eldridge, owner of Liberty Puzzles. And by the way, Liberty Puzzles has really grown into a pretty substantial Interesting business, So we're going to talk about that too, uh, beyond the actual puzzles. But first, thanks to our sponsors, Kinsley Meetings. Kinsley Meetings is Colorado's uh, premier meeting planner, their Proco 360's longest running sponsor. Really appreciate them. Also, via technologies, thanks for hosting ProCo 360 and all the great help that your team gives me around the technology, managing the website, the data, and so forth. Finally, Colorado Biz Magazine, our partnership is one of building our audiences together. Please go to ProCo360.com and check out all the sponsors. So I wanted to get back to you, Jeff, because you use phrases on your website like wholesome pastime, classic wooden jigsaw puzzles, even like heirloom quality. And When I think of my kids who are grown, yours are younger, uh, like heirloom is like nothing they want. Like the whole notion of an heirloom is like, no, they don't care.
0: Well, today's society is just one snapshot in a long history of different types of expectations, I think, for joy. And when you're conditioned to... When you're conditioned to have something for a short period of time and toss it away, I think that's a fleeting experience. Um, For us, we really wanted to make sure that our puzzles were not only enjoyed today, but tomorrow and for the next generations. And we've built that into our manufacturing process as well. Hmm. Uh, Quick little caveat. Some of the old puzzles have little red dots on them from red wine being spilled on them. And so we made sure that when we uh, develop the coatings that we use on our puzzles, that you can wipe them off with a little bit of 409 and uh, put them back in the box, and nobody will ever know.
1: So you don't want red wine spills on them.
0: Well, on ours, (laughs) you'll be just fine. You won't get in trouble. But um, between that and the UV protection and the inks that we use, um, the puzzles that we made 18 years ago are still coming out of the box, being enjoyed today. Wow! And, And we found our customers really enjoy having the confidence in their purchase, that yeah. it's not going to be something that's going to deteriorate over time. Well,
1: sure, because they're not inexpensive, 75 to 200 bucks, right?
0: That's correct. Yeah. And so,
1: yeah, you want to make sure that it's going to well, stick around.
0: Right we really firmly believe in people's expectation for the value of their dollar. Mm-hmm. And you can transcend that into any other industry. And with ours, we are asking for a higher price point. And in return, we are going to deliver not only the product. But we're going to follow it up with a customer service. We are going to be there for the lifetime of your owning that puzzle. Well, and
1: that's such an—I'm interrupting you because I was yeah, so no amazed. Worries. I was on your website, and I saw like, if I lose a piece, first of all, you'll replace it for free. Will send me one. Yes, but how am I going to do? Hey, I'm missing the the I'm missing the the reindeer with a blue.
0: Yep. Well, um, <laughs> do I take a
1: picture of the whole?
0: It is. It's interesting. You know i I think everybody in their business has an everyday reality of what it means. What do you do day in and day out? What are your pressure points? What are the things that bubble up and, and cause strife? When we started our jigsaw puzzle company, we were, uh, you know, not as aware that people losing pieces was going to be a major issue and um, it's something that we enjoy doing because we understand viscerally the frustration of getting to the end of a puzzle and not having that piece in there and so we do replace them free of charge. We just ask you send a uh, picture of the affected area and Mm -hmm. from there we have a variety of methods to pull out a piece and send it to you or make a piece. And uh, we have two full-time employees that that's all they do. Come on. And we even have an employee whose job is to make the hard-to-find replacement pieces. And so every day, he gets to put the final piece into a puzzle of like (laughs) 78 (laughs) puzzles. So he's got a very different gauge of his job satisfaction. But back to my comment about your every day, you know, I often joke with my partners that, you know, we should have made potato chips. Because nobody cares if the bag's a little light, a little low, yeah. or uh, if any of the uh, the chips are broken. But yeah. I'm sure the you, uh, potato chip guys have their own so issues. So wait a
1: minute. You've got two full-time people making replacement pieces. Correct. So I don't know what you pay them. But let's just say you're spending $100,000 a year in burdened costs yeah. to replace a piece Correct. for a bunch of customers.
0: Well, so much of our business is beyond a P&L. And it has more to do with the product and the integrity that we want to have behind our company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: that really is an investment in a statement about who you are and what you are, right? Very much so.
0: Yeah. And our employees are by far our most valuable investment that we've ever, you know, made and or continue to support.
1: Conceivably, it would be cheaper for you to send all of those people a new puzzle than to replace the pieces, wouldn't it?
0: Well, I would I would have to disagree. So the reality of our production process is we do laser cut our pieces, but that's one of ten steps. And the other nine are very hands on. I, I okay. think but wait, wait, I'm
1: going to interrupt you because yeah. I'm curious. Now, no worries. How many pieces would you say you send out as replacement every year?
0: Mm. At least 20 to 30 a day. So math that up a Six. few thousand.
1: Okay. Right. And that's my point. Like if you gave at your cost a few thousand puzzles a year wouldn't that be maybe not maybe it wouldn't be cheap but the point is my point isn't the money my point is that you're making a statement it's a branding statement that providing, and that's more important than giving them a new puzzle don't you think
0: well i have to tell you that the uh initial contact on a replacement piece is generally somebody who's very sad and they yeah. will explain and and if it happened to be their dog which is a general culprit in our world we have what's called a wall of shame on the factory wall at of the office. And there's hundreds and hundreds of pictures of dogs up there. And so <laughs> that we, have eaten yeah, we say, you know what, send us a picture of uh, Fido and we'll put him up on the wall. And we'll generally send two pieces. We'll send one for them to fix the puzzle and then the other piece can go to the dog. But oh, what we've learned over 18 years is that 99% of the time it's the customer. And the stories that come back of people finding the puzzle pieces down the road Um, are always uh, uh, bring a little smile because you'd be amazed at where these things end up.
1: Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay, so um, I'm sure it's much more creative than couch cushions.
0: Uh, oh, it is. What's yes. the most—OK,
1: okay, what's the funniest story you've Okay,
0: heard? Um, I think for me, the one that I enjoy the most is the gentleman who called the day after Thanksgiving, and he was just irate. And first of all, we had to uh, discuss why he did not enjoy eating Thanksgiving dinner at 2 o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> and was missing the football games. But he's done this because his wife and family love the puzzle experience. And At the end of the night on Thanksgiving, they were indeed missing a piece. And so— of course, it's Friday. I can't fix the holiday, but I offer to, you know, refund the order, send him something else that he might like. And he, ho- you know, hums and hoes and says, I'll, you know, I'll think about it. Well, Monday, he calls back. And in the background, I hear his wife and his wife is going, George, you better tell him the truth. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, George had found the piece in his pant cuff uh, when he went to bed. <laughs> and so it's uh, they're wily. They uh, they walk away from time to time. But at the end of the day, uh, it's the experience of getting the missing piece that I think has the value that we're intending for our brand yeah. to be uh, emanating.
1: And speaking of your brand, okay, so how big is your
0: company now? So we're, we're still privately held. We're a small, basically family business. Um, we have 120 full-time employees, and we do have a retail store on the Pearl Street Mall, yep, which is yep. its own separate entity.
1: But so anyway, you're, sell- you're selling thousands. We are. A year. Yes. Yeah. Tens of thousands, probably. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm not going to guess because you were clearly dodging my question of revenue when you said you're family-owned. So, unless you want me to ask you. No, no, no. Well put. All right. So, but I I think the interesting thing is that you started out, like, what were your sales your first year or two?
0: Um, You know, under a couple hundred thousand. Yeah. And it was just uh, Chris and I really in the shop. And uh, the way I like to explain it is it was an idea and then it was Edison's 2,000 ways not to make the light bulb. And we tried everything that we could in terms of approaching the problems in the manufacturing process. Trying to find the right combination of these ingredients, which albeit are not lengthy on the list, are incredibly uh, nuanced in terms of how we need to have things work together to make the puzzle where all 500 pieces are going to come and lay down and and work each and every time. So the trial and error uh, portion of this was hmm. uh, fascinating. And a lot of what I think entrepreneurs do is they chase the problem and then you've got to turn around and come back to the root cause. And so we looked at that intently with our wood and our paper and our coatings. And finally, we're able to achieve the quality level that we knew could be possible. But again, we're basically a crafted scale.
1: Were Were your first two couple of years of production, like when you look back on that product versus today's product... Do you wish you could replace those or were they at the standard when you sold them that they are today?
0: It's a great question. Um, I I can wholeheartedly say that our product today is as good and better in many ways that may not be noticeable to the to the consumer. So we're constantly trying to improve either the wood that we're working with in terms of the mills and or just getting the continuity as consistent as we can. And we've of course developed techniques that generally bubble up from the staff on yeah. on how to do things a bit differently and and those have basically really just affected um bringing our loss right down. But at the end of the day, quality for us is paramount and it's yeah. it's things were harder to get out the door more consistently in the early days they're easier today and that's and that's really the culmination of all those efforts
1: Well and you said there's a ton of handwork done There is You know that each is it each piece is yes. finished
0: So how does that work So essentially after we cut the puzzle it's it's still together right? And, mm. and, and you don't want it together. I mean, that's the whole point of the process. Somebody's
1: job is taking these pieces apart. We
0: have about 45 employees who spend their days uh, doing our quality control, and they are the gatekeepers, and they hold the power in terms of what's going to go out the door. And but they're so, taking these... I mean, they they take these, are, each one. these
1: are beautifully fit together. Yes. Taking them apart has to be... I mean, you have to do it. It is. It's now, manual. you know, yeah. the...
0: Uh, you know, wood is, a, is obviously a natural product, and we're going to be dancing with different densities and issues mm. across panels, across runs, et cetera, et cetera. And so when they're taking these pieces apart, you'll find some that may still be stuck together, have incomplete mm. yeah, cuts. And that's – you're that. using very yeah. fine tools. We use really tiny emery boards. We sand the edges. We're touching up the sides. Wow. Things that the customer may never see, but at the end result, again, mm. you know, we don't allow compromise. And, and puzzles don't make it through. So –
1: So going back to um, to when you started this and you were figuring it out, were were wait a minute, were were like whimsy pieces? Were they part of the old school stuff? that you saw that your your partner had? Very much so. They were. Yes. So the idea of the notion of whimsy pieces, um, that's not new. But when you come up with a new concept, who figures out what the shapes are going to be on a on a fish? And then how do you, you must have some sort of special specialized CAD something or and, other. And,
0: and that is what I think people are always fascinated by, is we hand draw every template for every image that we introduce. So we've done maybe 2,500, 3,000 puzzles over the years. Each one has its own unique cut pattern that is drawn specifically for that image. So, for instance, if we're doing uh, a New York City uh, skyline, we're going to have a bunch of the iconic New York City.
1: Statue of Liberty. Correct. Yes. And the
0: old taxis and things like that. And so, you know, fish in the sea and birds in the sky. But at the same time, what else is the image trying to portray and to convey motion, a three-dimensional motion into a two-dimensional object Mm. in a cut pattern and or Actual emotion on those on those pieces. Wow. There's a bit of an art to it. So you, who does that? Are you still we, involved in that? I I am only involved in it with uh, random ideas of whimsy pieces ah. that I think would make sense. Yeah. Um, and we have been so fortunate to have our lead designer, Lennon Axmet, be with us since the very beginning. And his craft has come a long way, along with ours in the way that we look at things. And we're constantly readdressing opportunities to continue to stay dynamic yeah, because yeah. after 18 years, that's that's the thing that we love doing the most well, is I've, rethinking what we do.
1: Yeah. I've been following Liberty Puzzles for a number of years and it seems like the the patterns have changed a lot. Um, the art style, the variety of style. I know you use local artists, right? We do. We use yeah. a lot
0: of local artists yeah. and, you know, much like any company that is starting out our ability to get Our vendors and the artists that we wanted to work with to work with us took a long time. You know, they wanted to see how we would do in certain environments or what other artists have you worked with. And Hmm. fortunately, when we went out of the gate, we spent a lot of time at trade shows. And so we had a booth. We went to Javits in New York. We spent a lot of time, fortunately... With the Museum uh, Store Association, and so oh, we got, so you got a, a classic art. We got a master's art, yeah. class uh, from the curators at you know museums like MoMA and MFA and Peabody mm. Body Essex and all of these amazing institutions about not only how we should be thinking about the art, but you know how we should be reproducing it. Mm. And so a lot of artists that we work now are approaching us because they've seen how we've curated other artists and.
1: Okay. I have a question for you about that in just a second about, in fact, I'm going to ask you when I come back, who pays who? All right. You're listening to Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And this is the podcast for people who love Colorado and the stories of Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs. This episode is with Jeff Eldridge, owner of Liberty Puzzles. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. Okay. Jeff, who pays who? Like, if you're using an artist's art, do they give it to you for free? Do you give them a puzzle? Do they, you have to pay them? How does that work?
0: Well, again, this comes back to what kind of business we want to be. And we really want to empower the art side of what we do. So it's why our puzzles don't have set numbers of pieces. It depends completely on the cut pattern. Mm-hmm. And in turn, when we license or we produce an image from an artist, we pay them a royalty. And essentially, it's per puzzle.
1: Uh-huh, so yeah.
0: and it's a healthy amount. And so if any of these puzzles get picked up by a larger uh distribution channel or for whatever reason they are extremely popular with our customers, um it's a nice uh royalty for them and it's a long tail. So That's
1: cool. So basically you don't have you don't pay them up front, but you say if we use your image for every puzzle x. Yes. And so presumably then the more interesting, the more beautiful or the more well uh engaging a piece of art is to your customers, the more the artist makes.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. You know, the artist that we've got in front of us today, Sue Cochia, has been with us for about 15 years.
1: Really? Where is she from?
0: She is in Washington State Mm. and has been just wonderful to work with. And over the years, you know, she is uh, receiving quarterly checks and has been for 15 years, and it's been a wonderful relationship. Everybody wins. Exactly. Exactly. That's
1: cool. Now, all right, so you started out, you said you sold maybe... A couple hundred thousand your first couple of years in in business. Um, Have you done much marketing? Are these just sort of word of mouth? I think for us,
0: (laughs) the strongest marketing endeavor has been the quality of our product and people wanting to share it with others. And that really has opened up the growth that we've experienced. Now we've played a bit in a traditional wholesale model. Our first 10 years, we were basically half and half, you know, where it was a smattering of small stores. And then we were fortunate enough to be in a lot of larger catalogs. And that just edifies the product in front of customers that are trying to understand why the price point is so different Mm -hmm. than what they're familiar with.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's not much fun, really, when you have to try to I mean, so I'm going to, I'm going to reverse what you said. You think you told me or the listeners that you think it's the quality of the product that has led to your growth. I, I wonder if it's, I'm going to change that word. Maybe it's the, the novelty. Like it's like, it's a reflection. If I have you to my house and we build this puzzle, this becomes a reflection of me. Doesn't it can.
0: It? I mean, it could definitely... You could infer that you are sophisticated and you enjoy nice art what? and that you like to do things a bit outside the box that are, you know, um I you know, our our saying is always sit long, talk much. And the What was that? Sit long, talk sit much. Sit long,
1: talk much, talk.
0: Yeah. And it's the puzzle as a vehicle for community. And people find that you sit down. And you put out this, you know, uh, what looks like almost uh, impossible task. And then after some cooperation and some some work together, all of a sudden you see it starting to take shape. Um, I had an opportunity to speak in front of a uh, a large group a few months ago. And a woman stood up and said, you know, I have this huge passion for your puzzles and it's expensive. And I'm having a hard time (laughs) explaining it to my husband. And at the time we were sitting at a golf course. And I said, well, does your husband play golf? She said, yes, he does. I said, well, you go and tell him that it's the exact same thing. And she said, well, I don't understand. I said, well, listen, you know, four individuals go out to play golf. You're sitting there, you know, what's in front of you, you know, you've got a task, you know what it takes to accomplish it, but you're each going to take your own route and you're going to compliment each other along the way in the puzzling world. You may be saying, well, I'm really good at the words and so I'm going to work on that and somebody else might work on the edges. All along the while, much like golf or somebody's going to be strong off the tee and somebody else is going to be great on the uh, approach shot, you're going to be encouraging them in, 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 in complimenting their game. Hmm. But all the while, the conversations that you have that you remember from the round, much like the puzzle, have nothing to do with what's in front of you. And at the end, you've completed your 18th hole. You've put in your last puzzle piece and you stand around, you shake hands and you say, let's do it again. <laughs>
1: That's great. That's a great, that's a great metaphor. I like it. And, uh, you know, it really is sort of a, but wait a minute. I started going down the rabbit hole. I still want to know, like, what does drive your growth? Is it word of mouth or are you marketing? Are you distribution oriented?
0: We walked away from wholesale distribution about eight years ago because our direct to consumer market was growing so quickly. So we just reallocated the, uh, production to our website sales. So there are a few tricks you can do. You can do that, and then you can also split shifts. You can try and you know squeeze the orange to get a bit more juice out. And then year over year, we would continue to expand our production capacity. Yeah. Marketing for us was either, in the early years, piggybacking off of dollars spent by Smithsonian or Eddie Bauer to their own customers, where we were then being Uh, you know, featured or alongside or included in their catalog, Um, word of mouth for us has been tremendous. I mean, it is, I would say 90% of our growth.
1: 90% of your growth. That's tremendous. A hundred. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, and then we've just, we've just brought on uh, our first full-time marketing director Mm -hmm. this last spring. And, and it's been wonderful to kind of have that box and or that hat not being worn by the owners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But we do not endeavor in traditional marketing.
1: I'm guessing that because of word of mouth, your marketing focus now that you've got somebody is going to be on word of mouth, on social media, on picture, you know, people taking pictures of themselves. And I mean, it's got to be social driven. Well, it can
0: be, but at the same time, you know, anybody in the online environment can make something shinier than the next person. Yeah. You know, And, and we're, as a company, we're really thinking about, how big do we want to be? At the end of the day, you know, we make a lot of puzzles for a lot of people. And we've enjoyed being able to expand and expand and expand. But I had an opportunity to sit down with Jeff Immelt, uh, you know, former, uh, you know, head of GE. And, and, you know, a comment that he alluded to was growth over growth over growth never ends, you know, and I spent a lot of time thinking about what the organization is that I would like to continue to help run and curate. And that's not always expansion. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's it's more about making sure that what we're agreeing to deliver to our customers is something that we can. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I don't think that we're going to want to build this thing any bigger than we feel like it's comfortable for us to run and our employees to enjoy.
1: Well, What about when you started it? Did you have any visions that it would be this big?
0: Um, we have a fun little story that when we sold our first puzzle on September 22nd, 2005, to a woman named Dana Haviland, that uh, my partner called me up and, and we put it on eBay. And, and we put it on eBay with a starting auction at $20 and a buy it now at 95. And he called me a few hours later, and he said it sold. And I, of course, assumed that he'd mixed it up and put $20 buy it now. He said, no, no, she bought it. And I... <laughs> <laughs> he goes, what do we do? <laughs> make <We'll>, another
1: one. <laughs> that's what I said.
0: I said, we do it again and again and again and again. And um, I think we saw the potential. Um, the last few years, we've been very uh, cognizant of our brand and our reputation. And we've said, we've said no more in the last few years than uh, I think people would expect. When the pandemic hit, we had to make a quick decision. Who do we serve? You know, we were at 95% capacity when the pandemic came. So we did not have room to absorb. Uh, I told my partner, I said, whatever we decide today, I want to defend that decision 10 years from now. Yeah. So we decided wholeheartedly to serve our direct customers because they're the ones who brought us to the table and where we are now. Yeah. Yeah. During that year, we, we turned down Ellen, we turned down Oprah, we turned down Martha Stewart. And those were things for us that were easy decisions because we were so committed to our, our direct customers.
1: Wow, that's impressive.
0: Well, it didn't make any sense to put any yeah. more fuel on well, the you, fire. You
1: probably, couldn't have, you probably couldn't have produced it enough. If Oprah had featured it, you couldn't have served them.
0: Correct. Wow. And or we would have had to compromise quality, and that was something that was not negotiable for yeah. us.
1: Why the name Liberty Puzzles? Uh,
0: we were Heritage Puzzles for a few quick months, and um, Liberty came out as being something we felt was stronger. And we are, again, we are an American manufacturing facility. It is, it is possible to do this end-to-end and take care of your mm. employees and run a company that is as nimble that I think people forget that American manufacturers can be. We are able to pivot on a dime. We're able to service our product. We're able to service our customer. You call in, you're going to talk to somebody. Yeah. And if you call after five, you might get me because I love answering the phone. And, uh, you know, our mantra is there's no problem on the other end that we can't solve.
1: That's cool. Now, why Colorado and what role has Colorado played for you?
0: Colorado is everything for us. I'm a native. I grew up in Denver. My business partner, also native, grew up in Boulder. Um, When we started talking about getting together, he was living in Boulder and uh, was married and already had his first of three sons at the time. I was just getting out of owning a nightclub down in Pueblo, not married, no kids, no mortgage. And uh, so we came to Boulder and we've been there ever since. We love being in Boulder. It's definitely more expensive to manufacture in Boulder. But at the same time, after 18 years, there have been so many life decisions on that our that excuse me that our employees have made, you know, whether it's buying houses or having kids or et cetera, et cetera. It's really where we planted our flag. And uh we've been very fortunate to have had the ability to continue to expand in boulder. And uh it's just our home.
1: That's cool. Now, talk about expansion. My last sort of question for you before we wrap up is you know, you talked about the temptation to expand too quickly or where you want to go, but I mean, other than new pictures, yeah, are there derivative products that you can make that make sense for you? And it's a great question. Like, horizon? what else
0: are we tooled to do? Yeah. Um, There are other products that we could make, but there aren't any others that are in our DNA. And so for us, it's... um You know, when we endeavored to do our large expansion in 2020, we went from 16,000 square feet up to about 82,000 square feet. And I need to come
1: up and see your place. Yeah,
0: it's, it's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you behind the curtain for sure. Um, So when COVID came, we, we were a beehive. You know, we'd built our company like everybody else, where you're like, oh, I've got four square feet of open opportunity over there. Let's put another desk, let's put a machine, et cetera, et cetera. So we had to get that down, and so we ended up separating our facility into two buildings so that we could silo our employees, and everybody was home for 10 weeks. We closed two weeks early out of uh, just kind of our general internal concern about COVID. And at the time, there was uh, a lot of talk about a social gesture, companies making social gestures to try and curb the pandemic. Yeah. So two weeks plus the eight, and uh, during that time, we reconfigured the Existing company, so we could silo different groups and employees because it wasn't about reopening, it's about what happens afterwards, yeah, and then at the same time, we picked up a third facility and revisited mm. technology and built our second factory
1: wow. so um one thing that I saw you do that is different, and I'm like, okay, I gotta do this is custom,
0: yes, custom
1: photos, I yeah could send you an image, and what I'm like, okay, well, then, how do they make the whimsy pieces? And I've read on your website like you'll match. The whimsy pieces to kind of the... we do.
0: Um, we've been so fortunate to have employees that have been with us almost since the beginning. I mean, like our our first few hires are still there, and we've got individuals that when your custom image comes in, it's almost like they have an eidetic memory. They are they know of the two thousand plus templates. You know, let's say it's a beach scene or it's the classic Colorado ski scene. You know, they're gonna pull from a multitude of templates that would fit that and then look at your aspect ratio where you are as a family in that picture and make the uh template complement that That's
1: so cool. I'm I'm going to order that. I I've got something in mind. I'm going to order.
0: That'll be super fun. Let us know.
1: Good. All right. I think we'll wrap up on that note. I'm your host Dave Tabor today on ProCo 360. You've been listening to my conversation with Jeff Eldridge, owner of Liberty Puzzles. What a fun conversation, Jeff. I'm glad you could join.
0: Dave, thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure.
1: Yeah, I think actually we started talking about this right before COVID.
0: We and did. you were
1: crazy busy and all the craziness and then whatever. Finally, we're here. So listeners, glad you could join us here on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast. And If you haven't yet, it's a huge help if you submit a review in your app. Thanks again to show sponsors via Technologies, Kingsley Meetings, and Colorado Biz Magazine. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado.